0: this is kate welcome to two pastors take a walk and make a podcast
1: this is yolanda and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we are preaching
0: so you first what's astonishing you
1: well i'm astonished by the reality that i often assume that the things i know and believe are so basic that they don't need to be emphasized, Mm -hmm. at least not very much. And last week my wife attended a funeral for a friend of hers, someone who attended our wedding um, 10 years ago. This was a young woman who died and um, people are angry following the funeral service. Uh, my wife came to me and she said, you know, I'm, I'm really wrestling, and I'm wrestling with members of the family and wrestling with some of my coworkers. Well, we are wrestling together. One, we're trying to process our grief over our friend, our sister, our loved one, but also uh, some things that happened at the funeral service. So the pastor, and I wasn't there, uh, but the pastor it's been reported to me, began the service, the first words of the service were, the devil took one of my kids and I'm mad. So from the start, there is this idea, um, and my wife said it kind of set the tone for the service that the enemy has won, right? Right? And for the pastor to say, this is one of my kids, no, this person who has died belongs to God. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's, the scripture says. And um, the first scripture that was presented to the gathered um, folks mourning the passing of this wonderful, kind um, woman, was the disobedience of Eve.
0: (laughs) It just gets better and better.
1: (laughs) And this pastor, I want to say suggested, but it, it was more than a suggestion, that this woman died because she did not listen to the pastor's advice, which was, you know, don't... Um, put your faith in God, not in medicine. Like don't, don't, don't get certain treatments, um, because if you do, then that means you are trusting medicine more than you're trusting the Lord. And also this pastor, it's been reported to me said that he was going to live 120 years because he was obedient to the Lord. And um, which again suggests that if you die at a young age, it is it is because you have been disobedient. This is your fault. And so my wife and her friends have been wrestling with a theology of death, uh, and I'm I'm privileged. Um, and this is what is astonishing me that I, I, I get to meet with members of the family, maybe some coworkers as well to talk about what the Bible says about death and what happens after you die. Again, things that I think are so basic mm-hmm. that, um, I like y- you really don't need me for this, but apparently these folks are hungry to hear a word, um, because there was no death and resurrection of Jesus in this funeral sermon. And and I'm just going to give them the biblical narrative that the God of the Bible created the world, and he created it good. Adam and Eve sinned, brought death into the world, and yet God did not leave us that way. God made a promise to send a Messiah. It's there in Genesis 3. God chose Abraham and said, through your descendants, I'm going to bring this deliverer, this Messiah. And generations later, Jesus was born. Jesus is fully God, fully human. And he suffered for us on the cross, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is coming again to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we do not die and simply float away to be in heaven forever and ever. No, a time is going to come when Jesus returns and we will be in physical bodies once again. And we will be with the Lord and with one another for forever. And there was no there wasn't that kind of teaching, preaching, that kind of biblical narrative. It was obey the Lord and live a long time be disobedient and die early end of story
0: yeah i mean it's so interesting and you and i i mean in all the years that we've been friends like there's this real push and pull in i think between um theology and what what <laughs> like big word alert between orthodoxy and orthopraxy right and there are a lot of pastors And people of faith who just kind of want to sit around and do God talk and like have, you know, theology on tap and just like let's all let's let's think about how to understand God and how to. um, And I and I really I think it can be a really um, unhealthy way to live your faith just in a completely cerebral way. And I think it can be a, a dodge that keeps you both from. Coming alive in Christ, and from being faithful, right? That you you think, well, I know, therefore, I'm finished, um, and so I'm 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 suspicious of of that, and I'm suspicious of it, particularly because I know sort of the part of the body of Christ that we're in, sort of mainline Protestant world, just how attractive it is to sort of be Christians from the neck up and sort of think well, there's something going on in the world and I have rendered my opinion and now I can wash my hands of this. My work is done. And, um, so having said that, I think that you can discount how much, how much pain and suffering and, um, just disordered life can come from wrong, um, Unhealthy understandings of God and the church. And I think, you know, when I listen to that story, the first thing you think is like, that's literal patriarchy, right? Like the pastor saying, I am the father of this church and you do what I say and everything will work out for you. And if something doesn't work out for you, then you haven't done what I said. And this is the understanding. And so, I mean, we just know that that concept in that culture do not come from the kingdom of God. They come from, you know, human culture and the need to control and have power over and authority over one and another. And, you know, it, I, it is so deeply entrenched into how we see Jesus that we think it comes from Jesus instead of recognizing that Jesus was challenging all of that. And I I mean, not all the time, but especially early in my ministry here at the Grove, the first time that I was not a pastor, but the pastor in the congregation. And people come up to me all the time in the neighborhood and just be like, how can you have authority over men in your congregation? And I'm like, I don't have authority over anyone in our congregation, right? So like, yes, if you are looking for a church community where some people have authority over other people, then you need to keep walking because that's not the nature of the culture of the kingdom of God. There's only one person with authority in this community, and that is Jesus. And we have ways that we relate to one another, and we have, you know, transparency and accountability, um, but we don't have authority over one another because that's um, counter to the culture. So, um, and then I do think, you know, the other problem with us when we, we want to do this neck up living, which is whether you have a theology that rejects what that dude says or embraces it, it's still neck up following Jesus, right? Like it's just about, if you conform to this, if you conform to this thought, whether it's your own thought or the thought of the great leader, everything is fine. Like that's your only obligation. And, what I think is so problematic ab- about it is, um one, scripture is very clear about just the element, how much mystery there is and ever will be in our relationship with God. And so if you read scripture, which is why most of us don't, I mean, you just, especially like read the Psalms and you just find like the voices of the faithful who are just saying like, God, what what is happening here? (laughs) Like, I don't understand why what's happening to me is happening to me. I don't understand why what's happening to them is happening to them. I don't understand why, you know, have you abandoned me? Have you left me? What You know, so, you know, Brueggemann's construct of, like, there are the Psalms of orientation, which is where everybody wants to live, which is just, I understand you, God, and you understand me, God, and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and I live happily ever after. And then there's this vast, majority of psalms where the psalmist is basically saying in spiritual language, like, WTF, God? Like, why? You know, okay, I'm going to trust you, or okay, I'm not trusting you anymore, but the relationship is still happening. And then there are these psalms of reorientation where the person praying is saying, like, hey, I remember what it was like when I when I was lost, and I was wrestling with you, and you were nowhere to be found, and now I, I see, right? And so, you know, I think we— because we're trying to market Jesus instead of following Jesus, we just shave all of the complexity and ambiguity out of this record that we have of like, this is what it's like to be in relationship with God. And it is beautiful, and it is powerful, and it was life-giving, and it is hard. And I think we, we lie about that. And so when people market, you know, pay this fifteen hundred dollar class and I'll teach you how to pray so that you get everything you want. People are like, yeah, I great. I want that and I'm willing to pay for it because people are um you know, people haven't been taught well. And I will say the other thing that's tough about that um the teaching of that pastor is, you know, there's enough truth there, like an all heresy There is enough truth there that is what makes it dangerous. Like he's not out there saying, hey, um, the moon is made of green cheese and God is a great teapot in the sky. And if you just drink tea every day at three, you know, he's not like they're definitely if you look at – and proverbs. If you look at Ecclesiastes, if you look at the Psalms, if you look at the Deuteronomic Code, like there's definitely a refrain in Scripture of, and and also in the Gospels as as well. Although I think Jesus is repurposing it, where where the wisdom of Scripture is saying like, follow the covenant and live, right? And and if you disobey the covenant, you will die. And that is a concept that theologians would call divine retribution. This idea that. If people are prospering, it's because they are faithful. And if people are suffering, that's all the proof you need that they're unfaithful. The problem is scripture itself um, muddies that. Scripture itself bears testimony that like not always. And so we've talked about, you know, like knowing God as wisdom um, and knowing wisdom as one of the divine attributes of God. I have a friend who in like delightful um his he will talk about his experience of god in a way that will make theologians like spontaneously combust but he's like for me it's not the trinity it's the holy quadrilateral because i worship you know wisdom dame wisdom and that's god too and i'm like you know it's so funny because we have this idea that like you just can't do that but the reality is if you're reading scripture if you're deeply formed in scripture i get where he's doing that right But I think there is this idea throughout scripture to say, like, seek me and live and like base your life on my words. And Psalm 1, like a wise man, you'd be like a tree planted by streams of living water. And no matter, you know, so it's it's there in scripture, but also in scripture is the antidote like Job. Right. So here is a man. The premise is he's faithful. And yet he suffers and you can't draw a line between cause and effect in the story of his life. And, you know, the big kicker for people who want to say, like, I'm going to live long because I'm faithful. And if you die young, that's proof you're not faithful is you got to deal with people like King Josiah, who's like the eight year old king who recovers the covenant and brings the people back to covenant faithfulness and then dies. And he's one of the few faithful kings that exists in the scriptural ref- reference at all. And he dies young. You have to deal with someone like John the Baptist, who is supremely faithful. And his faithfulness leads him into Herod's jail and leads to his execution. And you have to deal with, oh, what's his name? What's his name? Oh, gosh, what's his name? I always forget. Oh, yeah, Jesus.
1: Jesus told the story about the tower who fell on, on people. And he said to his disciples, were they any worse sinners?
0: right you 're crazy if you think there were sinners, but also you got to deal with like oh i don 't know Jesus yes. himself who dies crucified. at thirty three he 's a young guy, and his death isn 't a sign of his unfaithfulness it 's a sign of his deep faithfulness yes. and so I think the problem is while we want to share with people like hey here 's some good fruit from scripture, and here 's my lived experience and what I have you know where i 've met the Lord and what i 've learned from the Lord, and bear witness for my life, we also have to be honest with people about like the Lord is good, but the Lord is a mystery. And we have to pay attention to those voices from scripture and from the saints that, you know, frankly, I read them in seminary and I was like, do um, downers. Like, I don't need to know any St. John of the cross. Like, get your dark night of the soul out of here. And I don't want to know, you know, um, Therese, any of the Teresas. Like, you like, you can find God in your suffering, but I'm going to hashtag hard pass on that, right? And and we think like, oh, that's not going to be my journey because I'm going to just do what that pastor says, right? Like, I'm going to find the secret sauce of Jesus and live happily and successfully ever after. And I'm going to be like a shining, bright billboard and everybody is going to be like, I'll have what she's having. I want Jesus. And the truth is, that's not what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Jesus literally says, you know, you're going to pick up your cross and follow me. And this is a narrow way. And I think familiarity with scripture And with a family of faith, I mean, if you know the prophets, you know that, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why you who kill the prophets, like the reality is what leads to early death is just as often deep righteousness as it is unrighteousness, and that there's just an element of mystery that, you know, we are welcomed, literally welcomed to shake our fist at God and say, I'm done with you and to say, you know, how dare you? And this doesn't make sense to me. And God is, is here for it. But ultimately, you know, God meets us in a whirlwind and says, I am God and you are not. And And I think at certain points in our faith journey, that can just be like, what a cop out. And I, I I want a system that I can understand. And I think we get deeper into life when we realize it's the mystery that brings me more comfort than anything else because i have lived too long to have my faith in systematic theologies right like i just um much less charismatic leaders like give me jesus or i'm i'm going to brunch because none of the rest of this is worth is is worth anything
1: yeah we really love charismatic leaders uh, because then we we can kind of switch our brains off Mm -hmm. and say okay Whatever that person said that it must be true and and to this pastor, you know my my pushback would be that when it comes to a funeral service it's it's really just about three things it's right. about the worship of God. God mm-hmm. needs to be worshipped to the comfort of the family um, that we we seek the holy spirit's comfort uh, for for everyone, not just the family but everyone that's grieving, and then finally the gospel of jesus
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so people should leave with a sense of grace comfort hope and not law
0: right and i i think people ultimately we want to say is to acknowledge just like the brutal because i think to stand up and say to say this young woman has died And that is not of God. That is of the enemy, and I am angry. I mean, that in and of itself, I think, is not a problem, because
1: I I have a problem with it. I I have a problem with not the part that you just quoted, but the full statement. Uh, The devil took one of my kids, not your kid. Right, right. I mean, I have
0: a problem with the patriarchy. I do not. But I do not have a problem with someone naming the disorder of death from the pulpit. Sure. That can't be the last thing you say. But I think to, to meet people where they are and say, if there's every part of you that is just like, how can this be? Because I'd rather have a pastor stand up and say, you know, howl into the void of the pain than a pastor stand up and say some sort of BS like, God needed an angel. <laughs> right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. And every, at every funeral, I say something about the pain of someone dying. Like, right. this hurts but also the hope of the gospel of Jesus.
0: Right, that Jesus – I'm reading a lot of Colossians lately, and I love Eugene Peterson's translation, and one of the things that he says well, – oh, look, I happen to have it right here – is um, yeah, I, um, he just talks about um, – Jesus being at the head of the resurrection parade. Um, like Jesus said, Jesus was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He's supreme at the end from beginning to end. He's there towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood poured down from the cross. And I think to sort of say, look, what we're experiencing in the violence and the absence and the pain of this death is what we're experiencing is, you know, this manifestation of of the fall, of the disorder of creation and, and. You know, I'm not a person who says death is a part of life and it's beautiful. Like, I can't go with St. Francis to sister death because I just don't, I mean, whatever. I'm just a person and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying to me, death is the disruption of the shalom that God created the universe for and that in participating in the death, in, in his own flesh, experiencing you know, the evil and the disrepair and the rend of creation. And then in resurrecting Jesus, what we have hope in is that the reality of the just the despair and the brokenness that we experience will be repaired in Christ because we've seen Jesus's resurrection as the first fruits. Like it's the head of the parade that we all get to join that ultimately the last word is resurrection so that we can both stand. Like, I love that line from the funeral liturgy that even at the grave, we can make our song. Like we are standing at the grave and I acknowledge that. But even here I say, alleluia, 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 praise God, praise God, praise God, because this is not The end. It looks like the end, but it is not, and it is real. I'm not saying it's not real, but it is not the end. And so we have hope because what we see in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the hope that we have that the reality, the bitter reality that we're facing now, is overwhelmed in the goodness and fullness of everything being repaired and coming to completion in Jesus and yeah, that's, um, that's just a, that's good news. And I think most pastors, like we're trying to manipulate people sometimes into feeling a certain way at a funeral service, instead of saying like, look, I don't want you coming, leaving this space and cleaving to Christ because you're thinking, well, I don't want to die, or I don't want to go to hell. Like it can't be fear of what we don't want that binds us to Christ it has to be we see what god is doing in christ and we are excited and relieved and overjoyed at the prospect that i'm not doing that but that i am part of what god is doing and it is astonishing good news that means i'd risk i can risk anything because ultimately i'm risking nothing because resurrection is the first fruit
1: like the parable jesus told about the merchant who was searching for pearls Pearls. Mm -hmm. found one hit it sold all that he had to get that one pearl we see uh, the beauty and the hope of jesus in such a way that it just draws us to him Mm -hmm. Um, and i think you're absolutely right about uh, it can't be fear-based.
0: And I think the problem with, you know, the pastor's theology in that moment is it just leads to a place where like, okay, so Jesus is for winners. Like Christianity yeah. is for winners. And so if, if you are unfortunate in any way, you're a loser and you don't belong. And again, it's the words of Jesus that are going to make that not fit. When Jesus gives, I mean, first of all, that's all, that's all that's every tribal human religion that's ever been is like, you know, God is for winners. But what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, when he gives the Beatitudes, it's like, hey, blessed, blessed are the losers, like the people who are on the bottom right now, like these are the people that God is especially close to. And that salvation is coming from the bottom up, not the top down. And that's, you know, it's offensive to us, because it says if you want to get close to Jesus, you you have to move down and not up and that you know the problem with among the many problems with that guy's theology is it's just too freaking american like it's
1: well this is helping me because i have two issues uh one there's a leadership am there seems to be a leadership style that is um it reminds me of um the, the wizard of oz you know the guy behind the curtain he's mm-hmm. thundering you know, fear the great oz right. but behind the curtain it's just a regular guy right. Um, so there's a leadership style and, a, and bad theology. Now, I, when I meet with people, I'm going to focus on the theology. Let's let's talk about what the Bible says. Let's talk about the hope of the gospel. Um, because my goal is not to, um, you know, cast a shadow on this particular preacher, but to, as much as the spirit will enable me, uh, share the hope of Jesus. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and I think the problem also is if, you're, if your pitch is come to Jesus and you'll never die, I mean, that's both true. Or
1: you'll, you'll be rich.
0: Well, right. But I mean, the reality healthy. is you're going to come to Jesus and every single person who comes to Jesus is going to die, right? So I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the physical, literal, like, realm of God, recreation of the earth. Like, I don't it's, it's beyond my capacity of expectation, (laughs) but it, but it's how I read scripture and I'm clinging to it. Um, but I know that nobody gets there without physical death. And I think for too often, it's basically, we're saying to people like, it becomes this transactional gospel, which is like, come in and be a part of this community when you're a winner. But then, you know, once you actually have to face death, be it through a diagnosis or just old age, we're gonna shove you off stage and we and we send people into a season of their life where they have to contend with weakness and powerlessness. And we and we act like, well, you've screwed up somewhere and now Jesus is no part of your story. Jesus doesn't have anything for you now. When the reality is the whole the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus laid down and surrendered and became weak and powerless. And it was in that moment that he was, he was transfigured and knew the glory of God, not literal. I know there's a literal transfiguration, but you know, the, in the gospel of John, when it talks about the hour, Jesus's hour is not when he calms the storm or casts out demons or does any more of those like really spectacular moves. His hour is when he is suffering and dying and humiliated, and weak on the cross. And, you know, then we hear Paul continue to bear that out in talking about, you know, his thorn in the flesh, not getting removed and, you know, having Paul's greatest impact in the kingdom happen after he's abjectly failed to know and follow Christ a, but then happen after he is imprisoned. Right. So for all of his furious energy and success on the mission field, He, he, he formed more disciples through the letters he wrote in a prison cell than, so in his weakness and in his limitedness than he ever did when he was powerful and free. And I think that's just something that we have to wrestle with is that we have expectations and we have wants and we have hopes and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to recognize that God glorifies God's self in ways that we would rather pass on. And to recognize, look, if what you want, as we were talking about this before, if what you want is like God is your air freshener, right? Like if you want God as a decal to make you just a little bit better than you naturally would be, then that's gonna be anathema to you. But if you have seen the vision of all things coming together in Christ and the cosmic Christ renewing and restoring all of creation, then there becomes a way that you with Paul can really say, like, it's my honor to be part of the suffering because I know that a glory of God that doesn't touch suffering is worthless. Like, whatever, like, McDonald's can make me feel better on a good day, but like, a glory of God that can make suffering beautiful and meaningful and life-giving and generative, like, that. Is supernatural. That is sacred, and that is is what it is. And if you don't know suffering, you don't know Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we seek out suffering, but it does mean that when we don't have to spend our whole lives scrambling to avoid it, um, and when someone comes to us and says, "Either cause suffering or you'll suffer," we can say, "Oh, I I choose to suffer." Um, but too many Christians can't make that choice because we've been taught that Jesus is for winners.
1: So what's astonishing (laughs) you? I mean, we could go on with this. We could go (laughs) on.
0: I mean, I guess I just, I don't know. I'm thinking about a lot of things, but I, I mean, I have been astonished at watching people's reaction to the public theology that's going on in America around um, the death of the queen. Um, And I just think you know, it's really, so I want to be clear. Everything that I've just said is true. Um, I think death is a tragedy. And I, I can really hold space and think it's important to honor um, the pain that people feel when they are separated from someone they love. Um, And, but I think it's really interesting to see evidence in this moment of how much in this world we still understand kingdom through the lens of colonialism and not through the lens of Christ because i i i do on the one hand i can really appreciate that as an individual she is part of a system that she didn't create and doesn't fully have the power to dismantle, but I think, you know, the ways in which people want to say that because she as an individual seems to be, you know, exceptional means that the system she was a part of is now benign, um, it's just really troubling to me that, you know, Jesus, I mean, first of all, God is just so consistent throughout scripture that God alone is king, that God, when God's people cried out for a king, he was saying to them, like, this is an absolute bad idea. This is, you're becoming like the nations and I created you to be an alternative and salt and light and that God's structure for um, leadership and is, is uh, in, inefficient by design and is not hierarchical and is not authoritarian and this idea of hereditary authority is just, you know, and the people cry out for a king and God says, you, this is bad. Like the king will take your land and kill and send your sons into battle to die, right? Like this is not going to end well for you, but there's just something. And it's related to this idea of like, we want a charismatic leader. Like we just want to be able to say to certain people, can I just give you responsibility for my thinking or for my life? And then I'll be safe. And, um, So I I just think it's really interesting. People talk about her providing stability um, and continuity. And and I think, well, gosh, but do you understand what that's continuity with? And I appreciate that people are saying, hey, look at her humanity as an individual. And I don't have a problem with that. But what I have a problem with that is that there's no attempt to look at the humanity of the individuals who... um, suffered and died and continue to live lives of lack because of the outsized privilege and authority, um, that this woman and her family and people, frankly, you know, in governments that are still, um, using, using it to maintain structures that, privilege certain people to say certain people's pain matter and other people's pain matters less. Like I don't I wish the whole world would stop every time someone lost a loved one, right? Like I don't it's not that I in any sense want to make light of the humanity, but this idea that like oh well when we mourn her, we're mourning everyone. I'm like no, that's the problem is that we think that her life is somehow more valuable than the lives of the people we don't know, who are in areas of the current or former Commonwealth who don't have access to natural resources because somehow they're owned by the British Crown, or like like all of the gems that we're so fascinated by that were taken um, by people in the name of this family that literally. We were saying, like, we're here because white people are superior to the natives of these areas, and then we're giving them to this one family because this is literally the supreme white family of all the, I mean, like, it just, and I know that everyone is like, don't harsh my buzz, like, I'm just thinking about it as a fairy tale, but it's not a fairy tale, and, you know, I'm fine with humanizing her, Um, And I'm I'm able to say that system was as destructive to her and her family as it was to other people Um, spiritually. I think that's true. Um, But I anyway, I just I find it fascinating and I find it fascinating to see like my colleagues talking about like, oh, I'm so proud since she was in Scotland when she died. She died a Presbyterian. And I'm like, what? Like, what does any of this have to do with? with following Jesus. And, and all of this pageantry, I just think we need to be able to see soberly, not to hate on anybody, but to say like, this is to prop up a system that Jesus explicitly says, hey, this is passing away. And my kingdom isn't like this. And if in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, there is no longer royal and common like that and and it's just really problematic when we i think have this benign affection and think it doesn't shape our values when it does and i'm this isn't an eat the rich kind of moment it's a this is we were made for more than this we were made for more than a system where some are elevated and others are ignored and explicitly seen as less than Um, and I think as followers of Jesus, to be able to see the way that the gospel is used to validate the system really needs to make us sick to our stomach. Like to say like, oh, well, when Charles is crowned King, there's going to be oil that's put on the orb that represents the globe. And this is the divine. I mean, like we just not like, we have to be able to recognize not to, like, I don't have any enemies in the flesh. But we have to be able to say, like, that's a power and principality that has steal, stolen and killed and robbed life. And we need to not demonize people, but to say, this is not something that we want to mythologize. We We have a different vision of what glory is. And, and then I will stop, but I just it really bothers me to hear people say like look at her life and it is an, it is an an example of christian service and i'm like it is a problematic for me if people are going to say are pe- if people are going to say that because there's there's the example of service in the world is jesus not queen elizabeth and I'm sorry, you don't I mean we all have ways that we embody and and then don't embody the the witness of jesus, but like it it should not be controversial to say a person who says, "I am the ruler of other people and I have untold wealth, and everybody else has to pay taxes on it, but not me and like this is not this is not being a servant of all this is not a foot washing life this is a life where you get honored and glorified and call that service and it and it isn't so i've been astonished i like i woke up on monday morning and i was driving the kids to school and i turned on NPR and it was a live stream of the funeral and I just thought like what what is happening like have I fallen through a wormhole and we're now part of the British Commonwealth like I'm not saying it's not newsworthy but why are we live streaming the service of the death of this figurehead of a country that's not ours and meanwhile Puerto Rico the entire island of Puerto Rico has no water like Birmingham Alabama I'm sorry
1: Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson,
0: Mississippi has no water. Puerto Rico has no electricity. Like, why are we not saying that there are people whose lives are precious in the eyes of God, who do not have the bare minimum to survive, and that's not news to us. Like, this is the problem. Like, people go into debt just to get enough money to bury their loved ones. But, I like, it's just, it. I don't want to demonize her, but I want to just look at the culture of fawning over this and say, this is problematic and I'm done.
1: Yes, I agree with you. I, I think there's a scripture that says something like, um, the Lord does not delight in the death of anyone. Mm-hmm. So we can all pause and um, and acknowledge a human life no longer with us. And I I think that is right. And also acknowledge the great harm the British crown has done around the world. Mm -hmm. And the very dangerous thing that, that you've so eloquently, I think, pointed out is that because we see Elizabeth you know, see pictures of her as um, a bright, energetic young woman willing to serve her country and also as um, a kind, funny, older woman who loves puppies, who loves her dogs, right? That, that image can put a face on white supremacy and colonialism that says, let us let us give the world a kinder, gentler white supremacy, a kinder, gentler colonialism. I know the, the crown did some th- bad things in the past, but there's really nothing to see anymore uh, when people on the African continent, people in the Caribbean, uh, people in India are still living in the aftermath of uh, the horrible things the crown has done. And I, I read... Um, One headline uh, just the other day that said that um, racism is as British as a cup of tea.
0: And I I mean, I get like, I'm not British, so not my circus, not my monkeys. Like, if people want to organize, like, whatever, we have de facto royalty here with celebrities, and I understand that, but I think it's helpful. A, just to point out, like the way that we orient our lives around folks who we don't know and who we're not in relationship with. And what's really happening is consumerism. And can we just like pull the curtain back and see that is important? But it's also just weird to think, why are we so obsessed with something like, like if Anthony Fauci can be called, I mean, all the names that he was called because he wanted people to take a vaccination for. A deadly pandemic, but like everybody loves the queen like all like it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me the places that we enjoy and buy into myths of supremacy and then in places where we're like don't tread on me how dare you have any kind of authority over me it's just about which values. Um, are we comfortable with being elevated? And which values are we not? So the value of saying some people who are superior, so they should get more. And if people have to suffer, that's the way it is. Or sometimes we have to limit our own freedom and privilege in order to protect the flourishing of our neighbors. And now all of a sudden, that's anathema. Um, but the other thing that I think is really, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, you s- said something to me last week, we were having a conversation, we actually talked <laughs> um, when we're not we're recording like, a for podcast, real friends. yeah, we are you, actual you friends. You think
0: like, how could you have anything else to talk about? But ah, <laughs> well, we you're just you wait.
1: You, uh, you said something uh, last week that, that um, stayed with me. You said um, everyone is operating in anxiety these days, and so that causes me to think. You know, okay, if that's true, and I and I think it is, including myself, that didn't make sense that we. Um, we gravitate certain, to, to certain kinds of leaders. Right. One, we gravitate toward leaders who um, um, offer us an authority that is, mm-hmm. it, it's harsh, but it offers us it, it, a, a kind of safety. Like if you, well, if you will endure, yes, yeah. if you will endure the, my harsh authoritarian leadership, then that will provide you a kind of shelter from the anxiety that you feel And then the other end of that is um, a kind of fairy tale that you said a moment ago. And I think, you know, whether it's a politician or a pastor saying, follow me, I know what I'm doing and um, or else, you know, you're going to be cast out or a Queen Elizabeth. People are just searching for something, a a leadership that makes them feel safe.
0: Right. And I think the reality is like we want to we want to believe in things. And the problem is believing in Jesus is hard because ultimately Jesus says, you know, come and die. Right. Like come and pick up your cross, come and embrace weakness, come in and, and accept that you are not in control and trust.
1: He calls us to trust him to deal with the anxiety that we all have about death
0: right and and just being able to provide for ourselves and i think that's really hard and i i have a friend who was pointing out and i really appreciate this who was saying like look what we need to recognize is that she she the person elizabeth really lived at this hinge point of you know post-colonial monarchy right so like her father was literally the empire of india emperor of india and she was none of those things like basically there's this huge list of nations that used to be part of the commonwealth and that now are not. And, and she just sort of was like alive at a time when the nature of what this institution, the firm like it changed because they're obviously not legally in ownership or control over all of the places that they used to legally have ownership over and and my friend was saying you know I really admire the way that she you know living at this hinge point of history was like reinventing what does it mean to be who I am and to be in the position that I'm in when all of the institutions around me are shifting and I think she did a pretty good job and I'm like well I mean I It's not for me to say, right? Like she's not my servant and I am aware of that. And I'm not even saying I, I, in fact, let me say exactly the opposite. If I was born and someone said to me, like, you are inherently superior to everyone else because of the blood in your vein. Like I am under no illusions that I would have been like, cool. I I agree. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Like I am not challenging this. So I'm not claiming any kind of moral superiority. And I am grateful that the Lord did not put me in that place because I would have, fallen for it hook, line and sinker. But what I think is true, when you can recognize that about Elizabeth Windsor and go like, well, how hard would it be to sort of be born and all these institutions mean one thing and then all of a sudden discover that they're all changing and they're all actually passing away and you're just holding on. I'm like, yeah, we all live there. Like, that is literally the revelation of Christ, right? That all, like, the temple and the priesthood and Jewish ethnicity and the Roman Empire and all, like, all, Jesus is saying, like, all this stuff is passing away. None of it is real. And there is a whole new value system and culture, and it is actually supreme and it is invisible and, like what she lived through in her life, like we all better be understanding that we're exactly the same. Like you go to a job, but that job is not what feeds you, right? Like you have a family, but no matter how many parenting books you read, you that's not what's going to keep your kids on whatever you think you want for their future right like we all live in this place of deep vulnerability that like god is doing something and that the the kingdom of god is rising up and these other kingdoms are passing away and we live in this in between time and it is scary <laughs> Um, Because we are not in control and our only trust is that God is powerful and God is good. And I don't have to understand in order to be at peace. And I don't understand, but I do know Lord has shown me what is good. And so I have to be able to say, look, the culture is going to celebrate some things that are just not of the kingdom. And nobody's my enemy Um and i am just like a schmuck saved by grace and anything i know i know in spite of myself right so i'm not claiming any kind of high ground but also just to say like this is all this is all an illusion and it is not a harmless one um and that that's important that when in there the ground is level at the cross and there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. There's the head, that's Jesus, and then all, all the rest of us, mutually interdependent. And, and the work of repair and reconciliation is going to require um, a, a, a kind of mutual submission that I don't see in a lot of these institutions that are trying to reform, but not reform,
1: I think the saints at the Grove should get ready for um, a sermon, maybe not this Sunday, but maybe the following Sunday, entitled, A Schmuck Saved by Grace. I, I think that, that that's a word. That is
0: that is a word. That better be the word that all of us have to say. Um, so
1: what are you thinking about?
0: I mean, <laughs> I'm sure everyone has heard enough of my thoughts. No, that I, that's what I've been thinking about. I, I have been thinking a lot about just about funerals and about yeah. – um, you know, how deeply meaningful I find that part of my work and just the, the disconnect. Because, I, you know, I've also been interested in people are just marveling at the, I mean, it's a matter of taste, but at, at the beauty of that. And I'm like, I just, um, it just, it's ceremony. Um, and it, it's pretty, I guess, if you like that kind of stuff. Um, But, I mean, I didn't listen to the sermon, but, like, it's not preaching resurrection, and it's not exalting Christ, um, and that's the problem for me. Anyway, so I'm – and I'm just grateful to be down here in my lane um, and working hard at keeping myself faithful because I – um, prone to wander, <laughs> as well. Um, what and you? What are you thinking about besides?
1: Well, I recently saw an interview um, of Sint Marshall, and I can't believe I I didn't know about this woman um, before.
0: Spell Sint.
1: C Y N T. Sint Marshall. She was the first black woman CEO of an NBA team that would be the Dallas Mavericks uh she was hired because they had all kinds of toxic stuff in their leadership culture Right, which
0: and, we've talked about on the podcast before yes mm-hmm.
1: and uh so she has published a new book I think it came out this week just a couple of days ago or last week late last week and um Oh, I forgot the title. What's the title of the book? Um, You've Been Chosen. And basically the book is about her life of overcoming adversity. And when you hear her story, just amazing. Um, An abusive father, she tells a story about how he broke her nose when she was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Grew up in a housing project. She was the first black cheerleader at UC Berkeley let see. She was in the um, corporate world. Uh, you know, they told her she had to lose her her braids. She had to dress differently. You know, don't go by scent. Uh, it's that. What, what is that? You need to go by Cynthia instead, oui, right. oui, Or Cindy. Um, and um, she in in the first few years, uh, I think eight to ten years of her marriage, uh, she had four second trimester
0: oh gosh
1: miscarriages four um, and then the fifth child was born and lived six months oh, um, later they adopted four kids um, uh, let's see stage three colon cancer uh, she went through that and she kept a journal the the book came about because she was she kept a journal during her cancer treatment and then... Uh, after she made it through that um, hard time in her life, uh, she started sharing the things that she wrote, and people said, "Hey, this is a book." And so she put some things together and gave it to a publisher, and the publisher said, "Hey, th- there's more here. We we want the backstory mm-hmm. because there's something that prepared you to go through this." And uh, so the book is about you know everyone is chosen. Uh, for adversity, and you, you got to know that. And she said her mother, um, she made it through because of the faith of her mother. She said her mother handed her two books, a math book and a Bible. Um, and, and another thing she had to deal with in the corporate world, she said they told her that if she was going to be an executive, that she had to start saying, I've been lucky, and stop saying, I'm blessed. Uh, and mm-hmm. so she's just this wonderful, powerful example of, Christian who is salt and light in the places where she lives, moves and has, has being. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's super important in this time because as so much of the institution of the Mm -hmm. church fades in our time and people are anxious about the future of the church, what remains, believers who are mm-hmm. serving Jesus wherever Jesus sends. And so that in my mind has the potential to have even greater impact than mm-hmm. all of these buildings and all of all, all of these things that, that churches do that don't um, impact the world around us. Mm-hmm. And so even though I am not a great reader of memoirs, my wife is, I'm going to buy this book for her And then after she reads it, I'm going to read it.
0: Well, I, yeah, and then pass it along. I mean, I love this on so many levels, A, because I just want to point out that I think it is rare and sad, um, but I think most men do not read books written by women and certainly do not read books, memoirs of women's life, lives. And so I think, um, you know, that is just true and it comes from the culture that we're formed in, which is like women can learn from men, but men can't learn from women. Um, which is sad for men because I think women have the example of the, the benefit of just learning from the humanity of all kinds of people. And that is, you know, a sad. Well, and her leadership
1: is, she. I mean, she's just an amazing leader. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think it's just such a, and we were talking about this before we started recording because we are both preaching on Gideon and just this idea of, <laughs> you know, understanding that we we are called by God to live lives that are beyond our expectation or our comprehension but we are called we're called not to live them in our own strength and not to you know not to be conformed um to the culture and the world and the institutions that is but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ and so I think there's this challenge which is um only overcome if you're sort of walking in deep humility and actively practicing a kind of self surrendering worship and negotiating and listening to the Holy Spirit, because you have to walk in this dichotomy of walking into a space with humility, right? And thinking, you know, what, what is for me here? And, and what, what is good? And what do I need to receive? And what do I need to learn from and um, be formed by? And then also, What do I bring into the space and what are things that I need to, you know, not demonize, but also just not, um, not cleave to not conform to and so finding that balance of, you know, not that I'm going to walk in here with some sort of patriarchal superiority complex and say, like, I'm here now and so everything that ever happens need to go needs to pass through the filter of what pleases me um but also not walk into a space of like oh i'm here now everybody tell me who to be and how to be and which parts of me are valid and which parts of me i need to throw away and sort of you know ha- live in that tension of really not knowing and and being able to walk into every conversation and every situation and every real piece of work in action from a place of surrender of like lord i'm i am here to please you and i recognize that my thoughts and emotions might not be the most um um the the, the most valuable way to determine what your will is in a situation so just show me how to walk in um in right you know, in in right faithfulness and in what what real flourishing humility looks like, and I think like from the parts of her story you were telling me is like being able to say like, well, I hear what you're saying to me, and you're saying that if I want to be pure, I need to do X and Y and Z, and I can't, so I'm willing to walk away. And I think that that sort of sense of no matter where we are, um, we don't get there and think like, okay, now my job is just to hold on no matter what, but to say like, no, I. I recognize that sometimes faithfulness looks like an L and um, I, I'm, I'm ready for that. Um, so, yeah. Same. Yeah,
1: and she has spent some time talking about um, her boss, Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks team. And she said, you know, when they were going through their difficult time before they hired her, recognizing um, the toxic nature of their their culture, their organization, she said he could have hired one of his friends mm-hmm. to just really cover everything up. And she said at the time she did not know anything about the business of basketball. Mm-hmm. She didn't know Mark Cuban. And she said it's to her it said something about him that she hired her to really fix it. And she mm-hmm. said when she entered into that organization, there were no people of color in leadership, no women. Mm-hmm. And now it's 50% women and 43% people of color. And um, she says, you know, representation matters. If you if you want healthy culture, you really have to deal with things. And um, if, if it's an issue of gender and race, deal with it and get – Proper representation. And
0: I appreciate, and I I have a friend who's getting ready to make a career move to go and serve in an institution that is very flawed and imperfect and has a lot of power. And I think by making this move, my friend is going to be in a position to, in a messy and imperfect way, make this institution more righteous. Um, But by becoming involved, they... Are not going to be able to sit on the sidelines and just look, you know, pure and, you know, det- you know. So I, I mean, I appreciate people who are willing to enter into real institutions and say I'm. It's going to be messy and it's going to be incremental and it is not going to be you know snap your fingers and everything is changed. Like, you know, I just appreciate people who are willing to say. I get the people who are calling me in here have you know, are humans and they have mixed motives and they have strengths and weaknesses and, you know, um, blinders and blind spots. And I'm not gonna, you know, I'm going to come in and work with that because I won't be able to make it perfect, but I'll be able to make it better than it would have been without someone like me with my values and roles in in that space. And I just, I I know that's not for everyone. And I think some institutions that probably are just too, you know, too unhealthy, (laughs) really to experience real reformation. But I think a lot of imperfect institutions can be reformed in meaningful ways. And I really appreciate people who are willing to say more than I want to appear righteous, I want to move the needle towards righteousness. And so I want to do that work. And I mean, that's what it makes me think of.
1: And I think much of her book is about when adversity comes, and it will come, lean into it and trust God to make you better, and to use you to make things
0: around you better. I mean, I think of that King quote um, about, you know, unearned suffering is redemptive. And I think the reality is, I mean, there's a context for that quote, which I don't know off the top of my head, um, but I think he's, he's clearly talking about Christ suffering on the cross. But I also think, like, just the beauty of grace is earned suffering can be redemptive as well if we seek the Lord in it, right? So... Um, yeah. Well, we should stop talking, friend, because you got to pick up your kid and people are tired of listening to us. But um, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's Church, Derida Presbyterian Church, that's D-E-R-I-T-A, pres. And they worship at 11 o'clock on Sundays. We and do. you can find the Derida Church podcast on the Podbean website and you can go to their new website, which I am going to learn, but until I do, say it because it's Derida
1: long. Church Faith Life Sites s i t e s dot com.
0: So check it out. <laughs> bookmark it in your browser and if you want to find out more about what god is doing at the grove you can go to our website which is the you can check out our podcast and our youtube channel on those respective pages our podcast you can find anywhere literally anywhere you can find it and um And last week's sermon, by the way, not my last week's sermons, but the previous Sunday when I had my little episode, um, I just really want to keep directing people back to Nicole Thompson's sermon because it was total fire. And um, what else? Oh, yeah, you can come worship with us at 10 on Sunday. We would love to have you worship with us if you are in the QC. Yeah, this actual community that we're a part of. So thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week.